Thank you for downloading this sermon brought to you by the preaching ministry of Liberty Baptist Church of Las Vegas, Nevada, Dr. David Tice. For more sermons in both audio and video format, we encourage you to visit experienceliberty.com. Also, for a word of encouragement, insight, and biblical inspiration, follow Pastor David Tice's blog at davidtice.com. So without further ado, let's open our hearts to the Word of God. Hey, that's great singing. As you find your seat, give two or three people right around you a fist bump and say, good job, you made it to church today. Yeah, give... And if you have the privilege of a choir member coming by you, give them a fist bump too. Good job. You guys made it to church today. How many of you love this fall weather? Yeah. 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 How many of you are those people who are like, I miss the 110s? Yeah. Well, that's churches for all people, everyone. All right. So we're glad that you're here. But I, I've enjoyed this fall time. And if you have your Bible, I encourage you to open them up to Genesis chapter 12 this morning. And I'm so thankful you are in services today. Thank you, choir, and thank you, team, for singing. Wasn't it neat watching Asher follow the Lord and Believers baptism this morning? And um, Asher, I think, is seven, eight years old. He's seven years old, and so Asher, I went back and I said, Asher, you're getting baptized today. He said, yep. And then he started arm wrestling with me. And uh, Asher's one of our deacon's sons, so he's been in our house several times, and my son and him, they hang out. And I said, so Asher, tell me, when, when did you trust Christ as your Savior? He said, oh, like a long time ago. <laughs> seven. I said, well, how long ago? He's when I was in kindergarten. I'm like, oh, that was, that was a long time ago. So I'm just so thankful for the, for the representation. Man, I love Jesus, and I want the whole world to know it. And what a great thing to see Asher be baptized this morning. So many folks have been baptized this year. It's, the number's right at 100 people have followed the Lord and Believers Baptism here at Liberty Baptist Church this, this year. And we still have three months to go. And I'm so encouraged about what God's doing in this ministry, and I appreciate you being here. We started a study a few weeks ago entitled Signs and Signals. And God has a purpose and a plan for each of our life. But sometimes we don't know how to find it or how do we navigate it. A a man came up to me after the last service and he said, I'm thinking of getting my master's degree. How do I know if God wants me to do this? And I said, did you listen to the sermon two weeks ago? He said, I was in Texas. That's what you get for going to Texas, okay? I said, no, you got to go listen to the sermon from two weeks ago because we give you nine questions to ask about from the Lord and the scriptures. How do I know if this is the right decision for me or if it's the wrong decision for me? And he said, oh, I can do that. I can find it online and you can find all those things online. But we believe that God desires for us to not live in this mystical wondering of am I where God wants me or I'm not doing what God wants me to do. No, God has a plan for your life. And God desires for you to know his blessing and to accomplish his purposes. It doesn't matter what your occupation is. You could work for the power company or you could work for the military. You could be in ministry. You could be a teacher. You could do a number of different things. But God desires for all of us to be accomplishing his purposes. And this week, God has a call on your life. And so we said that with the call of God upon our life, we got to make sure that we don't go the places he doesn't want us to go. If God says stop, oh, you stop. You do not go because that's a place I'm not supposed to go. But then oftentimes, God's saying, go. This is what I do. And then sometimes in life, we don't know exactly what the circumstances should be. So those yellow lights are places for us to make a decision based upon principles and priorities from the word of God. Last week, we took time to realize that God desires for us to live our life in community. We're not supposed to be lone rangers going Han Solo throughout this world. Even even Han Solo had Chewbacca with him wherever he went. God desires for us to live our life in community. But in that community, there are certain fools that we shouldn't be with. There are certain people that, we're, that are tools. They use us. We use them. There are certain people that help us grow and we enjoy life with. And then there are jewels that, man, this family is supposed to live together. We're supposed to give our lives 100% towards these things. Today, we're going to look at a different sign or signal, and it comes from Genesis chapter 12. And verse number 10 is going to be our opening scripture. The Bible says this. 
And there was famine in the land. Looking at the story of Abram and Sarai, God called them from a place of comfort, from their own country and from their own kindred, where they had anything that they could want at their beck and call. But God calls them to this new land, the land of Canaan, a promised land. In verse number 8, God told Abraham, look around, and everything that you see is yours. <laughs> All that the light touches is yours. Everything that you see is yours. God, I'm giving this to you, Abram. And there, Abraham, he works, he worships, and he follows in the wonder of God's calling in his life. And just like Abram, has the call of God on his life, you too have the call of God on your life. And when you are living in relationship with him, following his principles and following his priorities, living in partnership with the men and women that God has placed into your life, the community that he wants you to live with, you're where God wants you to be. But in verse number 10, the Bible tells us that in the place where God calls Abram, there's trouble. There's trouble where God has called Abram. Now, that doesn't make sense. Is Abram doing something wrong? Has God for, forgotten his call? Why would there be problems for Abram if he's doing the will of God? If you love Jesus Christ this morning, say yes. yes. If you know Christ is your Savior, say yes. yes. If you had a problem this week at all, say yes. yes. Whoa. <laughs> How'd that happen? I mean, you love Jesus. Yes. Do you know Christ is your... Yes! Did you have a problem? Yeah. Why do you have problems if there's issues in life? Today in our signs and signals, we're going to look at this signal entitled dead ends. Because in each of our lives, there are dead ends that we should not go down. And when we recognize that it's a dead end... There is an action that we should take as soon as we find that dead end. I hope the Lord helps us this morning. Father, I pray in the next few moments you would help me to communicate from your word the truth that we have uh, seen here. May it encourage us and use it for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. In Genesis chapter 12 and verse number 8, I, don't want, I want you to mark this Bible verse, and then you're going to go down to 13.3 at the end of the service. But I want you to see in Genesis chapter 12 and verse number 8, Abram removed from thence into a, a mountain at the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and high on the east, and there he built an altar unto the Lord. And he called upon the name of the Lord. The Bible tells us that he's exactly where God wants him to be. In the book of Genesis, God calls Abram right where he is supposed to be. But in verse number 10, as Abraham is right where he's supposed to be, there's a famine in the land. And he's automatically confronted with our first point this morning, difficult circumstances. There are difficult circumstances that he's about to face. Now, sometimes there are difficult circumstances that everyone has to feel with. Have you seen the price of gas? How many of you feel the price of gas on your weekly budget? I took this picture. This is, the, this is the price of gas earlier this week when it was cheaper, okay? This is the price. Have you noticed like every day it's gone up a dime or seven cents and then it fluctuates. It's gotten so bad. I saw this sign and I'm like, for crying out loud, things have really, they've just gotten out of hand. We've got to do something different, okay? So if you love Jesus this morning, say yes. So if you love Jesus, did you get to save a dollar a gallon on gas? Oh, but I love Jesus. And here is the circumstance that Abram finds himself in. He's in a difficult situation. Why do we go through difficult circumstances? Why do, could we say it this way, bad things happen to good people? The Bible teaches us this, number one. The reason we have difficult circumstances is because we live in a broken world. This place is messed up. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 31, the Bible concludes the creation week story by saying, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was, oh, not just good, it was what? Very good. 
On day one, God created the, uh, the heavens and the earth, and it was good. Day two, created the firmament. It was good. Day three, created the plants. It was good. Day four, sun, moon, and stars. It was good. Day number five, the fish and the fowl, and it was You're with me, right? Day number six, he creates all of the animals, and then he creates human beings, and it was good. So then what happened? God gave a command to this perfect utopia, this environment where everything was beautiful, where there was no problem, where there was no cancer, where there was no disease, where there were no cockroaches. He gives this command in this beautiful, wonderful environment, and he says, but of the trees of knowledge and good and evil, thou mayest not eat. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely what? You're going to die. This whole place is yours, Adam. You're in charge. Take dominion over it. It's as if the Lord said, I made this place for you, and here's the keys to everything. You take these keys, you're in charge. I'm entrusting you. You're the manager. You're the leader. You are in charge. The keys are in your hands. One rule. Don't eat of the tree of knowledge and good and evil, for in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. In the next chapter, we don't know how much time elapsed, but the scripture tells us that Satan embodies a serpent. And when he does that, he has an intention to deceive Adam and Eve into sinning and participating in the very activity that God told them not to. He wants to lead them down a dead end. And the Bible says in Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 4, And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. Check it out. Whenever Satan is working, his first attempt is to take the Holy Scripture, the Word of God, and to cast doubt upon the Word of God. Does it really mean that? Does it really say that? Is that actually what he was trying to say? He takes the very words of God and he twists them to mean something that God never intended. You're not going to die. And you know how the story ends, don't you? The Bible tells us that they took of the tree of knowledge and good and evil, and they brought sin into the world. The Bible tells us that that sin had catastrophic events. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 22, the scripture says, for we know that the whole creation, what's that next word? Groaneth. It's as if it's just not the way it's supposed to be. The whole world is messed up. How come I'm going through this difficult circumstance? Because the whole world's messed up. It doesn't matter where you go. If you love Jesus, didn't mean that you got to pay $2 a gallon. If you love Jesus, doesn't mean that you had to pay $10 a gallon. You're dealing with the same circumstances because universally there is a broken condition, so much so that the scripture says, the whole creation groaneth. And the Bible says this, it travaileth in pain. It's as if there is a struggle to do this thing called life. It's a hard thing. It's not all rainbows, ponies, and flowers. There is a difficult challenge called life, and all of creation groaneth and travaileth in pain until now. Sometimes difficult circumstances come because of a broken world. Sometimes difficult circumstances, difficult circumstances arrive because of others' failures because of a bad thing that somebody else did. I'm not ignorant of the fact that today is 1 October. And some of you will remember vividly what happened six years ago on this day in our city. When a crazy person took out a gun and indiscriminately started spraying bullets into a crowd of thousands of people. On that night, people were just going to listen to music and have a good time and enjoy their friends. But the world changed, not necessarily because they were participating in evil, carnality, wicked uh, debauchery, but because somebody decided to do something wrong. But my life was different. I was at home watching a movie, and my world changed that night. Not because I had done, not because I had even gone to a concert, but the next several months were completely different in my life. And some of you know that experience as well. Your life was different. You were going through difficult circumstances, not necessarily because the world was bad as a whole, but because somebody made a bad decision. 
We deal with the consequences of other people's decisions. In Psalm 106, the Bible talks about seeing what other people have done and those consequences and those decisions have an effect in our life. But I want you to see number three, sometimes our difficult circumstances are a result of our personal choices. And oftentimes, that's where we have the greatest struggle. Have you ever disappointed yourself? Have you ever stuck your foot in your mouth all the way up to your knee? And thought, man, what did, what, what did I do? Have you ever gone on a diet for 30 minutes? <laughs> like, I, I, need, I need to stop that. Have you ever decided to be more frugal with your spending for a week? And, and we disappoint ourselves where we have our personal choices, right? And, and it, we want to blame them or we want to say them, but we understand it's our personal choices. In Genesis chapter 12 and verse number 10, in Genesis chapter 12 and verse number 10, the scripture says that we have this um, Abram, he's in the place that God wants him. Is it his fault that there is a famine? No. Is it other people's choices that there's a famine? No. But he's going to be responsible for his decisions. The scripture addresses this in Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse number 2. In Ezekiel 18 verse 2, the children of Israel, God's people, the generations were coming up. The teenagers and the millennials were now coming into adulthood, and they were whining about all of the problems that the 20 and 30-year-olds, of all the problems that the 50 and 60-year-olds have caused. Sound familiar? Okay. So they're, they're confronting with this issue. And so these young adults coming into maturity say this, what mean ye, God talking to them, that ye use this proverb concerning the land of Israel? What's the proverb? The fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. So they have this colloquialism. The colloquialism was, we're dealing with all these problems because mom and dad messed it up. When I was a teenager, there was a show called Animaniacs that was on television. And in this cartoon, they, had, they ended the show with the wheel of morality. And Yakko, Wacko, and Dot would spin the wheel of morality to find out what the, the moral of that lesson was for their show today. It was like Sesame Street for dumb people. And so <laughs> the wheel of morality, they would spin the wheel of morality. Wheel of morality, turn, turn, turn. Tell us the lesson that we must learn. And the wheel of morality would spit out a ticket. And one of the days, Yakko, Wacko, and Dot pulled out the wheel of morality, and it said, if at first you don't succeed, blame your parents. <laughs> there you go. It's not a lesson that is new. It's a lesson that for thousands of years, people have blamed their circumstances on, well, my mom didn't do this, and my dad didn't do this, and they should have had, and I couldn't have had this. It's not my fault. Here's something that the scripture teaches with plain clarity. You're responsible for your decisions. I'm responsible for my decisions. Are there blessings I have because of the family I grew up in? 100%. Are there things that I deal with because of the family I grew up in? 100%. And the same thing's true of you. Every single person is responsible for their own decisions. And so God says, you're using this phrase, the children's teeth are set on edge because their parents ate sour grapes. But here's the Lord, as I live, saith the Lord God, ye shall not have occasion anymore to use this proverb in Israel. Behold, all souls are mine. As the soul of the Father, so also the soul of the Son is mine. And the soul that sinneth, it shall die. Check it out. There are dead ends that we come to as a result of our own choices. The Bible tells us this, regardless of the difficult circumstances, when we put our trust in the Lord, we recognize that all things work together for good to them that love God and them who are called according to his purpose. When we are living in right relationship with God and understanding his call on our life, we can deal with $5.50 a gallon gas prices. Why is that happening? It's not because of my choices. Well, some of you it was. Two years ago you had a choice about, but we won't get into that right now. And it's not because of, and it's not because of the environment as a whole, and it's not because of this as a whole. Our, our circumstances, God can use our circumstances, whether it's inflation or famine. God can use those circumstances for his good. What good could come out of this situation? I don't know. But I can trust God. 
Well, I just got this poor health diagnosis. What, what good could come out of that? I don't know. But I do know this, that all things work together for good to them that love God. I just got bad financial news. How's God going to use that? I don't know. I'm not God. Aren't you thankful? <laughs> so don't trust me. Trust God. That God can work all things for good to them that love God and them who are called according to his purposes. How do I go through this? Don't go through the dead end. Abram neglects that. And in verse number 10, rather than staying in the land where he goes, or where God has called him, in verse number 10, the scripture says that he leaves with the famine and he goes down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land. God never called Abram to Egypt. The call on his life was never to go down into Pharaoh's palace and to live his life in that context. God had put him into the land of Canaan. Maybe there was opportunities that this famine would have provided had Abram been faithful. But for whatever reason, Abram looks at the difficult circumstances and he makes a choice to go down to Egypt. And Egypt is nothing but a dead end. But in those difficult circumstances, rather than trusting in God, this is what Abram does and it models our behavior very, very much. He compounds that disaster. He adds to that problem by putting a poor decision on top of that problem. We do this all the time. We see, well, this isn't good, but I'm just going to keep doing this until things get better. You've heard the phrase, it's an insane person who continues to do the same thing over and over, expecting a different result. And yet we as Christians, followers of God, people who live in this context, we go through situations and we continue like, well, it just, if I just, and I just, no, if it's bad, it's bad. I had a Bible teacher that taught me this phrase when I was about Asher's age. It's never right to do wrong to do right. It never is. It's never right to do wrong. Well, I'm gonna, I know this is wrong to do. I'm going to just do it for a little while so that then I can do right. I know, you know, this choice, I'm going to take this promotion. I'm not going to be able to go to church for six months, but after going to church, not going to church for six months, I just believe I'm going to come back stronger. It's not the pattern of behavior. Well, I know that this isn't a good thing for my kids to participate in. I just don't want to have that conflict right now, so I'm not going to fight. I'm not going to push, so I'm not going to do this right choice, and I just think it's going to be better over here. That, that doesn't work. Disaster is compounded when we follow dead ends, and here Abram, he takes a trip down to Egypt, which is nothing but a dead end, and it shows us a principle about the nature of sin. The Bible says in verse number 2, excuse me, verse number 11, and it came to pass when he was come near to Egypt that he said unto Sarai, his wife, hey, baby, I know that thou art a fair woman. I think you are the most beautiful thing ever. You are, you're fine. I dig you. I would marry you a hundred times all over again. I love you, baby. Thank you. I know that thou art a fair woman to look upon. Well, thanks. Um, so I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. <laughs> oh, what's that? It shall come to pass, when the Egyptians shall see thee, that they shall say, this is his wife, and they will kill me. I don't want you to die. You don't want me to die, do you, baby? No, no, you just said I was pretty. So when they find out that you're my wife, they're going to kill me, but they will save thee alive. And who knows what those Egyptians will do to you if I'm not there to protect you, because I'm your man. You are my man. So what's our plan? This is what we're going to do. Since I don't want to die, and I don't want them to have their way with you, because that's what would happen. Say, I pray thee, that thou art my sister. That's weird. Hi, my name's Abram, and this is my sister, Sarah. <laughs> High five, Sarah. <laughs> they call us Matthew and Marilla. We just came from Green Gables. <laughs> Say, I pray thee, thou art my sister, that it may be well with me for thy sake, so that I'll be okay, and that my soul shall live because of thee. You don't want me to die. No, no. And it came to pass that when Abram was coming to Egypt, the Egyptian beheld the women, uh, beheld the woman that she was very fair. Whenever Abram and Sarah came in, 
Abram's pretending he's his sister. Abram's riding on his camel, and as he's riding his camel, all of the Egyptian men looked at Sarah and said, Hi, how you doing? Or maybe because she was Jewish, shalom. <laughs> shalom. <laughs> shalom. And all the guys are in this place talking about, did you see the shalom? Oh, yeah, she's, she's beautiful. The Bible tells us this. In verse number 15, the princes also of Pharaoh saw her, shalom, and commended her before Pharaoh. She is very shalom. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. Uh-oh. Pharaoh's like, she's a hottie? Yep, she's mine. <laughs> Dibs. <laughs> I call her. And if Pharaoh calls it, Pharaoh gets whatever Pharaoh calls. And so Pharaoh's like, hey, call her. And now Sarah, can you imagine what that, that's like? Here is the, here's Abram and Sarah in the Holiday Inn, Egypt. Hey, uh, we're from Pharaoh's palace. What can I do for you? We're here to see your sister. My sister? Oh, yeah. Sarah! <laughs> Ma'am, we're here to get you. Get me to do what? You are now Pharaoh's wife. <laughs> Goodbye, sis. And Abraham lets her go. And not only does Abraham allow her to go, but look what the Bible tells us this. The Bible says in verse 16, and he entreated Abram well for her sake. He gave him sheep and oxen and asses and men servants and maid servants and she asses and camels. He pays Abram off. And Abram gets all of his poor... Whoa, well, that's really nice. Thanks. And can you imagine, Sarah? Like, what are we doing here? You're, bye, sis. And he literally allows his wife to go into Pharaoh's house to become part of his harem. He's in a dead end. But rather than dealing with the dead end, he just drives through it. You can't drive through dead ends. If you get to the end of the cul-de-sac and you decide you're going to make a thoroughfare, it makes nothing good for anybody. When you see a sign that says dead end, bridge out, no es bueno, don't continue. It's going to mess you up. But like Abram, oftentimes we see dead ends and we say things like, well, I'm just going to do this for a little while. Nobody will find out. It's not that bad. That, that bad. What's the worst that could happen? And rather than looking at a dead end as a warning sign and saying, I shouldn't be here, Abram continues and then he doubles down and the disaster compounds. Why? Because that's the nature of sin. Sin has three components that are always present. Number one, sin always grows. In James chapter 1 and verse number 15, the Bible says, Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth, what's the next word? It's a dead end. 100% of the time, sin is always a dead end. Well, I'm just going to do something wrong. I'm just going to continue this way. It's what I believe. It's how I feel in my heart. I'm not sure. And so in that sin, we allow it to grow. And when sin grows, when sin is present, it always grows. It becomes worse than we thought it was going to be. We thought we find out it was bigger than it was initially thought to be. Oh, sin grows and it grows and it grows and it grows. But not only does sin grow, sin is contagious. Sin affects other people. You say, well, I'll just sin and I'll take the consequences of my sin. You can't do that because when sin is present, it is always contagious. If you live through 2020, which all of you did, you understand the notion of a contagion. You can't bottle it up. You can isolate, you can shut down, you can mask, you can vaccinate, you can do a hundred different things, but when it's out, baby, it just goes. And more contagious than any viral infection is the nature of sin. Sin grows and it is contagious. The Bible says, be not deceived. You are lying to yourself. You're fooling yourself if you think it won't affect you. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Sin is growing. Sin is contagious. And finally, sin is always deadly. The scripture says in Romans 6.16, 
Know ye not. It's almost like we're ignorant if we don't get this. That to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey. Whither of sin unto what? Death. When we sin, the nature of sin is that it brings us to a place of death 100% of the time. And to, to think that there's another alternative is foolishness and ignorance, so much so that God says, know ye not? See, verse 16, know ye not? Can't, you should know this already. This is something that everybody knows. Know ye not? That to whom ye yield yourselves, servants obey. His servants ye are to whom ye obey. Withered of sin unto righteousness. Well, we're just going to finish out the school year. Oh, we're just going to wait until it's convenient. We're saving up, up, uh, up enough money. We're doing this. You're just heading down a dead end. And God can never bless sin. Sin is always a dead end. And here's Abram. Abram thought, it's a famine. Let's just go down here. We know God called us over here. God wants us here. We know this is where we're supposed to be. This is what God wants us to be doing. This is what we should do, okay? Famine. Let's just go to Egypt. We'll just go down there for three weeks. We'll just go down there for six months. We'll just go down there till things change. And there had to have been some logical reason to do it, but now he's in Egypt, and notice how sin, it grows, He's in a place where the promised princess of God's chosen people, Sarah, has now been given into the harem of a wicked pagan king, and Abram is profiting off of human trafficking. It's bold, it's blunt. But he's taken sheep and camel and donkeys. He just made a load of money off of his own wicked devices. Sin grows. It's contagious. It always affects other people. Well, it's not that big. We're just going to go here while it's difficult. It's always deadly. Do you see the nuisance of selfishness? The, nu the nuisance of selfishness is that you can't get out of it. In verse number 17, the Bible says, verse number 16, and he entreated Abram well for her sake, and he had sheep and oxen, and he asses, and men servants, and maid servants. It's interesting that he gets people who are now under his employment because of his visit to Egypt, and it's going to be an Egyptian bondservant that's going to leave ramifications for generations. This visit to Egypt we are dealing with today. Anytime you watch the news, anytime you watch the news and you see conflict between the state of Israel and the Arab state, it goes back to this verse right here. It goes back to right here. Abram took a few minutes, a few weeks, just a short amount of time, and today there are people fighting over a land in the Middle East because of this decision. Why? It's contagious. You feel the effects of this. Anytime a, tax, a taxpayer dollar goes to peace in the Middle East, you just paid for Abraham's mistake. Isn't that fascinating? Oh, because sin grows. Sin, it was just a short little, it was just a famine. It's a tough time. It's a tough season. And here you are almost 4,000 years later, and you, you are paying for Abraham's mistake. Isn't that fascinating? Sin grows. It's contagious. It's deadly. He pays him off. Could you come over? Would you come over? Yeah, he comes over, gives him everything. And the Bible tells us as soon as Sarah walks into Pharaoh's house, perhaps Pharaoh had this wonderful elaborate ceremony. Perhaps he was intending to take her as his bride. The Bible tells us as soon as Sarah walks in there, in verse number 17, the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues. Maybe Pharaoh becomes violently ill. He's sick, and he's got issues where he's like, oh, I just got to go to bed. Oh, I just got to go rest. And not only does he, but the Bible tells us the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues, verse 17, because of Sarai, Abram's wife. We don't know exactly how it's revealed to him, 
but perhaps Sarai and him are having a discussion and maybe he's apologizing for the fact that he can't treat her like a wife, like she deserves to be treated and he's trying to adore her and maybe he says, I don't know why this is happening. This is all conjecture and maybe it's Sarah that reveals the truth is I'm Abraham's wife. Yes, I'm not his sister. I'm his wife. That was just a half-truth. Maybe that's the way it's revealed. Maybe the Lord demonstrates to Pharaoh supernaturally, you're about to be with another man's wife and you don't want to do that. However the circumstance comes to be, the Bible says in verse number 18 that Pharaoh called Abraham and he said, what is this that thou hast done unto me? What were you thinking? Why didst thou not tell me that she was thy wife? Why saidest thou she is my sister? So I might have taken her to be my wife. I could have been with her. What if I had been with her? What are you, are you nuts? Now therefore, behold, their wife, take her and get out, go thy way. And Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him and they sent him away and his wife and all that he had. He says, take everything. What about the sheep and the camel and the dog? Take them too. Just get out. Isn't it interesting that the place where he was going for comfort becomes a hostile environment? And so the only other place he has to go then is back to the place of God's calling because Egypt was always a dead end. And it shows us the necessity of a savior. Abraham was nothing without his God. He was about ready to lose his wife had not God supernaturally intervened. And this is not a story about the greatness of Abraham. It's not a story about the wonder of Sarah. It's a story about the goodness and the mercy of God. A God who, in spite of the stupidity of his servants, was willing to extend grace and protection and safety. It reminds me of Romans chapter 5 and verse number 8, where the Bible says that God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God doesn't save people who are noble, good, holy, and right. God only saves sinners. And unless you're a sinner, you can't be saved. But the Bible tells us that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and he was buried, and he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. A relationship with God starts through knowing Jesus Christ as your Savior. Do you know him today? Or are you trying to work out these circumstances in your own uh, ability? Are you trying to figure out how to correct these problems? Because all of us are going to go through difficult circumstances, but the disaster compounds when we look at ourselves as the Savior rather than the only one who can save us, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the work of God in your life starts first and foremost with a relationship with Him. And when you put your faith and trust in Him, He gives you His Holy Spirit to guide you into all truth. He gives you a church community to help you live in partnership with other believers. He gives the Holy Spirit to teach you the Word of God. Oh, you can't do this life alone. You need God. And Abraham's reminded that this is never the place you were supposed to be. Yet sometimes when we start our Christian life and we go down this Christian life and we're expecting for everything to be rainbows and ponies and flowers, and yet when a difficult circumstance comes, we default back to our old man. And when we default back to our old man in our own situation, and we let our temper drive and dictate how we're supposed to live, or we allow our culture drive and dictate how we're supposed to live, or we allow circumstances to dictate our decisions, instead of trusting in God, we always wind up on a dead end. The Bible tells us that God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. You have a savior. His name is Jesus Christ. Do you know him today? Are you putting your trust in him today? Or are you following your own path that's putting you on a dead end? Because when you live for the Lord, there will be difficult circumstances. When you follow Jesus Christ, there will be times whenever those disasters will compound. But the Bible Bible tells us that we must live this dangerous calling. The calling of God upon Abraham was profound all the way back then, and now he's living it out. The challenges are different. The challenges are new, but he must continue to live in the cow of God. You cannot coast in your Christian life. There is no cruise control. It is an active daily walk with God. If today is the only time when you're doing your spiritual work, I'm telling you by Tuesday afternoon, you're empty. 
It's a daily walk with God. You need to pray daily. You need to have time in the Word of God daily. You need the fellowship of other believers often. Why? Because God has put into your life, into my life, a dangerous calling, and you can't do it alone. And if an hour on Sunday is supposed to sustain you for the week, you've got a better diet plan than God does because it can't sustain you. You're not going to eat a good meal today and then next Sunday. No, you've got to sustain yourself daily. And God's put you in a dangerous calling. This dangerous calling is not something you can navigate alone. You have to trust the Lord. So four lessons we learned. Number one, trials abound. There will always be difficult circumstances. The Bible says in Job chapter 14 and verse number one, and it's true, man that is born of a woman and Every person who's ever been born was born of a woman. Man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. If you understand that, say yes. yes. If it's true, say yes. It doesn't matter who you are, what you've got going on, you're going to experience trouble. It might be because it's a broken world, maybe because somebody else made a bad decision, and maybe it's because you've made poor choices, but man that is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. Number two, we must trust the Lord. You've got to trust the Lord. There's no other options. The Bible says in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with half thine heart. With all thine heart. Thank you. Trust in the Lord with most of thy heart. <laughs> There's some Baptists in here who are very dogmatic about the word of God. Good job. Trust in the Lord with how much of thy heart? All. all thine heart. Do you see that there's no percentage here? It's not like, well, 97% is the Lord, 3% is mine. It is all. This, this walk with God is a zero-sum game. It's all or nothing, baby. But, you know, I, I, like, I like on Friday nights to do my thing. It's all or nothing. Well, I just like in this, I have these friends. It's all or nothing. Well, these people, they've been close to me. It's all or nothing. I've got this habit, and it's not that. It's all or nothing. Trust in the Lord with how much of thine heart? All thine heart. Check it out. And lean not into thine own understanding. This is the way I've always done it. Well, don't lean on in your own understanding. In all of thy ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Did God ever lead Abram to Egypt? Nope. Never once. Is that where he was supposed to be? Nope. Did God want him in Egypt? Nope. Isn't it fascinating? God could still save him out of Egypt. Okay, so then what do I do? Number three, I come to this dead end. What is the only thing to do when you hit a dead end? In traffic terms, what do we call that maneuver? U-turn. When I see this is a dead end, I don't just try to keep going. <clears throat> you don't. If you keep doing that, it's bad. It's bad for your car. It's bad for the wall. It's bad for the community. I live on a cul-de-sac. At the end of that cul-de-sac is another street. It might be quicker if it was opened, but don't try to hit that cul-de-sac wall. Why? It's a dead end. Nothing good happens when you do that. Well, I just feel. Who cares what you feel? It's a brick wall. You'll feel it. Well, I'm just hoping. No. When you see a dead end in your life, you turn. You remember the story of Jonah? Jonah, he's called of God to go preach into Nineveh. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go uh, to preach in Nineveh. Let me do it that way. I'm going to go and preach in Nineveh. Go preach in Nineveh. Okay, Lord, I'll go over to Joppa. And on his way to Joppa, he's in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea, and all of the mariners are confused and angry and upset because there's a tempest that is about ready to wreck their entire boat. And Jonah walks up. He's like, do you know what's going on? He says, yeah. I've offended the Most High God, and uh, I'm not supposed to be going. I'm not supposed to be going over here. I'm supposed to be going this way. And what's Jonah's solution? Well, what do we do? Just throw me overboard. 
Jonah, turn the boat around. Doesn't that seem a whole lot more easy than spending three days and three nights in the belly of Shamu? For me, it does. Yet, here's Jonah. Jonah, rather than saying, yet, could we just go back, drop me off at the port, and you guys finish your thing and be okay? Throw me over. Just throw me into the water. And isn't it amazing that God won't even allow him to take that own step into his life? Yeah, we'll send um, Monstro. He'll swallow you up, and you and Geppetto can take a rip, trip back to, uh, to uh, the Fertile Crescent. <sighs> three days and three nights in the belly of a well. You didn't need that, Jonah. All you needed to do was turn around. I think we make our things with God so much more difficult. <sighs> Just turn around. Now, this is, can I give you an illustration? When you find yourself at a dead end, there was a place where you took a why off of God's call in your life. Catch the illustration. God wanted you this way. You went this way. What do I do? I turn around. Now, sometimes that, that turn around, that journey might be weeks. Sometimes that journey might be years. Yeah, I made this mistake here. I made this mistake here. I made this mistake. I'm going to have to go past that painful pit stop. I'm going to have to go past that difficult circumstance. But it's not, look at what the Bible says in Genesis chapter 13 and verse number three. And he went on his journey from the south even to Bethel unto the place where his tent had been at the what? At the beginning between Bethel and High. Here's the principle. Where was the last place you were right with God? When you find yourself at this dead end, you turn. Where was the last place I was right with God? It was last summer. It was when I was in seventh grade. It was before I made this choice. Where was that last place? Get back there. Get back there. And on that U-turn journey back, confess every one of those sins. Lord, it was wrong when I was here. It was wrong when I was here. It was, well, uh, no, that was an excuse. No, it was wrong when I was here. It was wrong when I was here. You'll find this, that the Lord is a gracious God. In the Minor Prophets, he says that the Lord is able to restore the years that the locust and the cankerworm hath eaten. It's very poetic, but what it means is that the journey into sin doesn't have to take as long as the journey to grace. Okay? God is such an amazing God. He took care of 6,000 years of human sin in three days and three nights. That's pretty amazing, right? So Jesus dies on a cross, was buried, rose again. That whole collection of sin, forgiveness of sin, is able to be done in three days and three nights. He probably could have done it quicker. He was just letting us know he really was dead. So God's able to take all of your problems, and I messed up here, and I messed up here, and it's going to take years to get back. God has this way, and I don't know how he does it because he's God. He's able to take all of those bad choices, and he can expedite, he can express train, put you on a Concorde jet back to the place of grace very quickly. But it starts by first saying, I'm in a dead end, and I need to get back to Bethel and High. If I get back to Bethel and High, that's the place where God was blessing. So on my way back, forgive me, Lord, forgive me, Lord, forgive me, Lord, forgive me, Lord. And almost like a, a, a nitro boost on a video game, that forgiveness, that grace, that mercy gets you back to a place, okay, I'm ready to serve the Lord again. Sometimes it might take a season. Sometimes it might take a week. Sometimes it might take, okay, I've, I've settled all of these things, but get back to the place where you were last right with God. Don't continue in the dead end because the dead end goes nowhere. Number three, or number four, take heed. And this one, this one is so convicting for me. We take heed because Abraham maybe could have dealt with the consequences of his sin on his own, but Abraham put Sarai through that horrible circumstance. Do you think that they may have had trust issues after that? Do you think it may have violated their communication? Do you think their intimacy may have been affected a little bit? Their financial situation may have been affected by that? Do you think, do you think that that caused health or problems in their marriage? So, so going down this dead end helps us understand, I'm not just hurting myself, but I'm hurting the people I love most. And the person that he brought with him, he was not alone. He took all of his caravan of people, and he also took Lot. In Genesis chapter 13, 
The scripture says this, in verse number one, and Abram went out of Egypt, he and his wife, and all that they had, and lot with him into the south. Oh, he takes everybody and they get out. And Abram was very rich in cattle and silver and gold. And everything seems to go along for a while, but Lot comes to a place where he's his own man. And Lot is ready to step out on his own and to be his own man, no longer living under the shadow of Abram. And there's a contention between Lot and Abram. And Abram, in his benevolence, says, Lot, you pick, you go wherever you want. And as you go wherever you want, I'll just go the opposite way. The Bible tells us that Lot looks out and he chooses a plain. The Bible says, And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord. Isn't this interesting that the Lord allows this to be in the scriptures? Like the land of Egypt. Lot chooses Sodom and Gomorrah because he got a taste for that lifestyle in his Egyptian visit. Abram introduced Lot to the behaviors of Egypt. And Lot said, that's where I want to live. And so Lot's whole existence becomes a dead end thereafter. If you read in verse number 16, the Bible tells us that there in Egypt, Abram picks up a maidservant. One of those maidservants is named Hagar. And if you want to know a little bit more about that story, read how Abram and Hagar get together because they made a visit to Egypt. Egypt was nothing but a dead end. And rather than driving through and trying to correct and making excuses, the only thing you can do when you hit a dead end is U-turn. Are you hitting dead ends? Are you, are you in difficult circumstances but compounding that disaster by just making poor choice after poor choice? Or are you on a U-turn? Oh, God is gracious. God is forgiving. We all need a Savior. In a place where trials abound, it's time to turn around. Trust the Lord and take heed. Father, thank you for your word and the signs and signals that it affords us. Help us to live in light of its truth and apply its worth to our calling. Thank you for the men and women in this room, and I pray that it would encourage them today not to pursue dead ends, but to follow your calling and live in light of that truth. And I ask this in Jesus' name. With your head... We hope that message was an encouragement to your heart. Now for weekly updates and for information about Liberty Baptist Church, be sure to follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at LBC of Las Vegas. Well, that's it for today. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, God bless.